I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Derek Moulton, who's from the University of Oxford, and we're talking about research into why shells have the shapes they do. Derek, can you tell us a little bit about that research, what you discovered, and the math involved? Yeah, sure. So mathematicians, paleontologists, biologists, and beachcombers alike, I think, have long fascinated at the beautiful and diverse patterns you find on seashells for centuries, if not longer. These patterns have been characterized and you know, described mathematically, in fact, for quite a long time as well. This, you can find literature dating back to the 1830s that have this sort of spiral shape characterized mathematically and measurements on, the, on some of these mathematical properties. But what we wanted to do was devise a mathematical framework to explain, in terms of the natural growth process and the underlying physics of that process, how these patterns emerge, how, this, how the shape of the shells emerge. Now, of course, to do that, you, you first need to have a little bit of an, uh, a feel for, for how a shell grows. And the, the simplest way to think of it is that uh, when you find a seashell, this is the, the remnants of a house. So a shell is, is a house for a creature called a mollusk that, that is living in, living in the shell and, and building its own house incrementally. So this is happening one layer at a time where it's secreting a material which is calcifying and then the shell is being built in this incremental process, what we would call an accretive growth process, which is, which is occurring at the shell opening. And the part of the mollusk that's responsible for this is a thin and soft tissue called the mantle. Okay, so we'll, we'll need to remember that word. So what we did is start, we've sort of built up this, this framework. We started with the geometric description and as I said, there have been previous geometric descriptions, but the key for us was to formulate the mathematics at the level of the activities of the mollusk and the mantle. And so here is where we turn to the tools of differential geometry to describe this. And, and here, the output of that modeling is an understanding of the basic shell shape and in terms of three very simple rules for how that, that basic shell shape is produced. Now, most interesting for us is that Beyond the basic shell shape, so the sort of logarithmic spiral that you see, if, that if you look at effectively every shell, is that there's a wide variety of ornamentations, so-called ornamentations, that appear on top of the basic shape. So this is a secondary pattern, and these can be very intricate, sharp, needle-sharp spines. They're fractal-like structures. There's very regular ribbing. And this, there's been very little understanding of exactly how these patterns come about and what is the mechanism that these secondary patterns appear. So this is where our mathematical modeling really is really kind of aimed at. The premise for the model is to, to think about this mechanical interaction between the mantle, so this is the soft tissue that is secreting new shell material one layer at a time, and the rigid shell edge that it itself is building. So there's, there's a quite an interesting interaction here. You have this shell edge, and the mantle is a, is a thin tissue which is, which is just lining the inside of the shell. And at the time of making a new layer of shell, the mantle emerges just a little bit from, from inside the shell and sort of wraps around and attaches to the current shell edge. Now, the mantle is soft tissue and the shell is very rigid. So there's a potential for what we would call a mechanical instability. Right? You, have, you have something that might be longer than the thing it's attaching to, and so it might, it might buckle and make some wrinkles or something like that. So in a sense, the shell edge is providing a template for the shape of the mantle, and whatever shape that mantle takes, it's then going to secrete material, and therefore, whatever shape it is, it's going to get sort of cemented in the next layer of the shell. 
So the template itself is evolving to, by the shape of the mantle, and the mantle itself is evolving its shape based on the, the shell edge that's evolving. So there's really nice interaction here, and the, the sort of question is, by looking at that, that interaction, describing those mechanics of that growth process, can we understand what patterns emerge? And, and that's sort of been the game for us, and I mean, so far we've, we've focused on sort of two distinct kinds of patterns. You have these so-called anti-marginal patterns. This is like spines, as you find in some of the muricid species of shells. These are forming orthogonal to the uh, shell edge. And, and for us, this is a, is a mechanical buckling instability, which is then being amplified as the growth continues. And so the, the kind of game we play is to say, what to, you can vary parameters in the growth process, how quickly the shell is growing, the, the sort of underlying geometry of the basic shell shape, mechanical properties of the mantle, and then you look at the, the output as a sort of what's called a morphospace. So this is like you have different parameters are inputs, each that would be different axis, and then at any, any given point you have an output of a morphological pattern on the shell. Now what we find is that by varying the uh, reasonable parameters in that process, you actually get a very good diversity of the output pattern, which matches quite well the observations in, in the fossil trend. Beyond that, the other fundamental pattern we've, we've thought about is called co-marginal. So this is, if you look at an, uh, an ammonite, so an ammonite is a uh, type of shell that has been extinct for something like 65 million years, and yet these were an iconic group of, of cephalopods. So, so ammonites effectively ruled the seas for something like 350 million years. So they were everywhere, and they were incredibly abundant, they were incredibly diverse, and then they went extinct about 65 million years ago, but their fossil record is, is enormous. And so, so paleontologists really use ammonites to ask questions about biochronology and, and general questions about evolutionary trends. The, the distinctive feature of an ammonite is it's, it's a planar spiral, and it has these very regular ribs that are appearing in the direction of the growth. And so our question was, can you understand the pattern that you see in those ribs? And there are there are varieties on the wavelength and the amplitude, which connect to different species of ammonites. And these are the kinds of morphological characteristics that paleontologists look at when they're trying to classify a fossil, which, which species it might have belonged to. But what was always missing from that picture is, well, why, why are these ribs forming in the first place? And if you could understand a bit of why they're forming, then you could have a better sense of why there's this particular diversity and why this species is a bit different from that species and so on. And so we've applied the same kinds of mechanical ideas and looking at this interaction between this mantle tissue and, and the rigid shell. And we have a, a, a related but sort of different model that, that is able to output as a solution of differential equation system the ribbing pattern, so the sort of wavelength and amplitude. And, and here we find we can compare very well with the fossil record, and it, it's very much connected to the the underlying patterns, how rapidly the, the spiral is coiling and how rapidly the shell edge is expanding. And we put those as input to the model and the, the output is a ribbing pattern. And, and then we can compare that with things in the fossil record and, and you get a very good agreement. Now, a couple times you mentioned we or us. So this was you and a couple colleagues did this? Yeah, so this has been a very fruitful collaboration I've had with, uh, with a fellow mathematician here at Oxford, Alain Gorielli, but also we have a colleague based in Lyon named Regis Chirat, and he is a paleontologist. He's the real shell expert. He's fully familiar with all the fossil trends, and he has a huge collection of shells. And so it's been a very useful interaction where 
he's aware of all the patterns and the, the way the patterns have changed through the evolutionary processes. And then we interact and try to find the right mathematics to, to understand those patterns. So that's, that's sort of our team. And, and were you as a team or individually surprised, you know, with, the, with those three basic actions that, that still reflected nature well? So I think what was probably the, the most surprising for us is when we've been thinking about these ribbing patterns on the ammonite. In some sense, our model is quite simple, right? We're not including biology. We're not including transport of nutrients, which is underlying the actual growth process. We're not including anything molecular. There's, it's a very simple model just aimed at the very basic physical principle of, of the growth. And the output is actually remarkably good at predicting the, the ribbing pattern. So here we have actually been able to do what I sort of think of as predictive paleontology in a sense. So we take a fossil. Now, of course, a fossil and an ammonite's been extinct for 65 million years. So you can't do an experiment, right? You don't have one living in an aquarium that you can, that you can do an experiment on. All you have is this huge fossil record. So it's a bit hard to think about what, is, what does it mean to predict an output on that. But we, we sort of have found a, a very nice way, which is to take a shell and we make some geometric measurements on the shell that have nothing to do with the actual ribbing pattern. And that's the input for the model. And then the output is the ribbing pattern that then gets overlaid on that, that geometric measurement. And it was remarkably good agreement. And this is, again, a 65 million year old fossil. And you're putting this output of, of a model of the ribbing outline on it. And it is almost perfect agreement. So th this was probably the most remarkable result that we saw. And in the future, will you try to describe more shells or, or shapes of other animals? Yeah, well, as, as I say, my colleague, Rajesh Sherat, the paleontologist, has huge collection of shells. And what, what you learn is that there's almost an endless supply of patterns on those shells. Now, just when you think you've understood the patterns, then you find out that there's this whole other species of mollusk that has this other slightly interesting pattern, which is just a bit different from what you've thought about before. And then, the, and then you say, oh, well, maybe this process is slightly different from what we've been describing, or maybe this parameter is not quite what we've been thinking about it as. Yes, I think there's an abundance of patterns that just within mollusk shells that have still yet to be uncovered or understood in a, in a mechanistic sort of way. So we've got plenty of work ahead of us. Well, that's, that's good. It's always good to have things to, yeah. to, to work on. Yes. I, I notice on your webpage that you have a picture of you, or at least one of the pictures is up there, is you uh, punting on some river, it looks like. Is that something you like to do, or someone just got you in a candid shot there? <laughs> well, so we... I came to Oxford uh, from the U.S. I was I was born and grew up in the U.S. and I was I was there until eight years ago. Moved to Oxford and have sort of been adapting to various differences with the U.K. system and so on. And I guess one of the first things you, you do in Oxford is you go punting. So this is a this is a very classic Oxford pastime. And so yes, we did quite enjoy uh, the punting punting sort of trips. Are, are they more stable than paddleboards? <laughs> punting is a it's funny, when you watch it, you think this is the easiest thing, yeah, right. and all you do is you put a pole in the ground and push. But actually, when you're, when you're there, you really have to start thinking about Newton's you know, action-reaction, and it's harder than it looks, is all, all, all I can say about that. All right, uh, so thanks for some insight into that and uh, describing the team's research. Uh, that's very interesting. So that's Derek Moulton from the University of Oxford, and he's talking about the research uh, his team did into the shapes of shells and the mechanisms behind that. Derek, thanks very much. Yes, thank you very much.